Well, this morning, as we dig into the Word of God, we're continuing in our series called Perfect. And this morning, our subtitle is Better. Let's dig in straight away to Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 1. And it says here in the New King James, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary, elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Notice something that we're to leave something, and the thing we're to leave is the elementary discussions of the doctrine of Christ. Not because they're not important, but because they're already in our lives, and we're to go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now he goes on and he shares the basic doctrines and he speaks a couple of things. But I want you to know this word perfection here in the Greek is the word teleotas. And this is what it means. It speaks about a state or a condition of being complete both mentally and morally. The root word teleos actually speaks about being of mature or full age. So it talks about growing up from being a baby, a child, a teenager, to a full adult or mature believer. And he goes on then, and we'll pick it up in verse 9 without losing the context, and he says this in verse 9, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So notice Paul is speaking to the Hebrew church here and he's saying, listen guys, the basic doctrines are incredible. They're powerful. But you need to go on and we're confident of better things concerning you. Things that accompany your salvation. So just say to yourself this morning, there is more that God has for you in your life here on earth. This word better in the Greek is the word kriton, and it actually means to be stronger or to be healthier. It actually figuratively carries this concept, to go from good to better to best, getting stronger and stronger. Say this with me to yourself, I'm getting better and I'm going to do better. You see, in the Taya definition of this word better, it refers to becoming more useful, more serviceable, more advantageous, and more excellent. Now, please let me reiterate, not that foundations are not important. They are actually vital, and they are necessary, because the depth, the width, the strength of your structure, or of your foundation, sorry, will determine the height, the size, the stability, the longevity of your building. So you've got to have a good foundation. But once your foundation is built, it's time to build your building. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through the word this morning. It's time to build your building. Or Perhaps it's time to renovate or maintain 
your existing building, or like Mandy and I were talking about, maybe it's time to redecorate a couple of the rooms in your home. Or perhaps you've only got one story, and now you're going to build your second story. But I want you to know it's time. God wants you and I to be getting better. God wants us to be growing and developing in our maturity and our completeness. Tonight, we're going to look at seven spiritual disciplines from the New Testament that will take us to this place of perfection, that will carry us to the place that we add those things to our salvation that are better. And I want you to know, not only will it take you there, but it'll help you to stay there. Because I want you to know, it doesn't matter how long you've been serving God, there will always be moments in your life where you've got to revisit certain things, you've got to strengthen certain things, and like I said earlier, maybe do some maintenance on your building. God's call on our lives will always challenge us to be better and to do better. So let's dig into these seven spiritual principles right now. Number one, the first one is lying down. Lying down. It's the position of what we call spiritual rest. In Psalm 23 verse 2, the psalmist says this about the good shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me besides the still waters. You see, for the believer, the place of rest is the place of strength. The place of rest is the place of victory. Why? Because we're positioned in him and we're no longer striving for victory. We're living from victory. And if you never settle that rest in your life, that belief that God is for you, that God is on your side, you'll always struggle in every area. My friend, Pastor Joshua, just preached a great message and he entitled it, entitled it this, you've got to find rest in the wrestle. Isn't that so good? We need to learn, yes, there's a wrestle. Yes, there's going to be battles to fight. Yes, there are going to be circumstances to deal with. But we've got to rest in the wrestle. Now, this is what you'll find. When you enter into the rest of God, there's certain things that it starts to produce in your life. Here's just three of them. Number one, it starts to produce provision. Not outwardly, inwardly. You learn that your sustenance and that your resource doesn't come from the abundance of your things, but it comes out of your abundance of your relationship with your heavenly Father. Number two, the second thing that rest produces is it produces preparation. Or we could say it like this, rest prepares you for your next moment. And preparation is so important. It's been well said by so many people. To not prepare is to prepare for failure. And so we see that preparation is actually getting ready for the journey. It's an expectation that we have that God is going to do something great in our lives and therefore we're getting ourselves ready for what it is. Even if we don't know what it is yet, we're getting ourselves ready because we're resting in the covenant we have with our Father God. You see, 
Preparing could be your daily quiet time getting ready for the day. But the more you do that and the more consistent you become, what you find is it's preparation for the week. And the more you do that, you find it's preparation for the month. And then you come to realize it's preparation for the year. It's preparation for your next season. You see, those of us who have been preparing and been alert and been focused on serving Jesus have found it much easier to walk through this time of COVID-19 than those who didn't. Why? Not because we're something, but because our rest does not come from our own ability. It comes out of our relationship with Jesus. Number three, the third thing that rest produces, and this is so important, rest produces perspective. And I want you to know, perspective is so important, especially taking hold of God's perspective and not your own. You see, his perspective of who I am His perspective of where I am and what I should do can change everything about tomorrow. It can change everything about this upcoming week because it can position you to be ready for that moment. Listen to what Ezekiel 34 and verse 14, which is a message about the shepherds and the flock. It says in verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in good fold and feed in the rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. God wants to feed you and I good things so that we have the substance for the journey ahead. Rest can therefore be described in the following way. It can speak about learning to be still, listening, meditating, clarifying, waiting to hear and receive what Jesus is speaking into your heart. Revelation 7 verse 17 says this, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, He will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, that position of rest is a place where we allow God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word to minister into our hearts. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 31, the eternal, ever-ongoing invitation, come to me. You who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, wherever Jesus comes in your life, he will establish his rest because everything else in the kingdom flows from that place. Number two, the second spiritual discipline is sitting. Notice the progression, lying, then sitting. Now, sitting, we find, is about instruction. It's about Direction and understanding. Luke 10 verse 39, you know the story well. It says, and she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord Jesus' feet and listened to his teachings. That word listen there means to receive instruction and understanding. You see, in the rest, you hear 
what the Lord is saying. And when you hear what the Lord is saying, most of us, including myself for many years, we want to jump up, we want to run out there, and we want to go do something. But I want you to know, after you've heard, you've first got to sit and receive instruction about what you've heard till you gain understanding before you can go the next step. You see, for years, I would hear something, I would see something, and it would go off in my heart or in my mind, and I'd get excited, and I'd run out and go do it, and it would fall flat. And I would feel like such a failure. I would feel devastated and confused. But please notice something. You'll see in a couple of moments that running only comes at step number five. And we're only at step number two. And so what was happening was, and it took me years to capture this, is that I was running out ahead of God just because I'd rested and I'd heard something exciting or I'd seen something that made sense to me. And instead of sitting and gaining understanding and, and gaining instruction about what it is he showed me, I would run out and it wouldn't work. Let's read this same section of scripture again in the Passion Translation. I want to read both verse 38 and 39. As Jesus and his disciples continued on in their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. And Mary sat down, listen, sat down attentively before her master absorbing every revelation that he shared. Please highlight that or write it down. Absorbing every revelation that he shared. You see, receiving and absorbing produces the following. When I sit at the feet of Jesus, receiving and absorbing, number one, it produces determination. You know what I've realized? When I hear and then I receive and I sit for instruction and I know God's spoken to me, there's a determination that comes that will not let me be moved. Storms may come. People may say things. Problems may come. But when I know and I have understanding of something, it gives me a determination to keep on until I see it. Number two, the second thing that receiving and absorbing instruction does for me is it eliminates distractions. You see, when you get a new idea, when you get a, a revelation about something, sometimes when you run out too soon, it's so easy to get distracted by the next thing. But when you've sat for instruction, when you've received and absorbed, and there's clarity, it eliminates the distractions. They might still come. There might be a few things to deal with, but you will not be distracted from that which God has deposited into your heart. Number three, the third thing that receiving and absorbing instruction does is it breaks the power of discouragement. Now listen, discouragement causes our perception to be clouded. Now, we can be discouraged. We can have moments of discouragement. But a lot of people today are living in discouragement. And you see, when you sit and you receive and absorb the word and you receive that instruction, it 
breaks discouragement. Now, let's have a look at this a little clearer. I want to read this verse again in the New Living Translation because it brings out something that I think will really encourage us. In the New Living Testament, it says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair to you that my sister, who's sitting here listening to your word while I do the work, tell her to come and help me. Can you see what was happening? She didn't have a determination to do the right thing. That led to distraction and it brought on discouragement. As a matter of fact, in the Passion Translation of verse 40, you know what it says? It says, she went and she interrupted Jesus. Think about this. Paint the picture. Jesus is preaching and sharing the word of God. She walks in. He says, excuse me, Jesus. Excuse me. Excuse me, interrupts him and then says, don't you think it's unfair that my sister's sitting here and I'm busy preparing your dinner? That's how out of place it is when we leave out this important step or discipline of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Number three, the third spiritual discipline is standing. Notice again, we're lying, now we're sitting, And now we're standing. Number three is standing. And standing here speaks about warfare. It speaks about prayer. It speaks about the spiritual battle that we sometimes have to endure. And we find it obviously in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. And I want to just read it out of the Amplified translation, the Amplified classic. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger, and having done all the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, having put on the breastplate of integrity and moral rectitude, and right standing with God. I want you to know, standing is such an important discipline in the life of a believer as we progress to maturity and as we walk in our maturity. As a matter of fact, I really, Mandy and I were talking and, and we really think this is such an important discipline and, and such an important step, especially in the life of our church at this time, that I'm not going to teach anymore on this one. We're going to do a whole session on this next Sunday. So we'll, we'll deal with step three the third spiritual discipline of standing as one session next week. Let's move on to number four. Number four is walking. Please notice, I'm lying, then I'm sitting, then I'm standing. Now look, now I'm walking. Can you see the progression as I get better in my walk with God? Now walking is more about being than doing. See, some of us think, well, walking means I'm doing something, and you are, but I want you to know your walk is about who you are, not what you're doing. Let's read in 1 John 1, verse 7, and again, I'm reading in the Amplified Classic. It says, but if we really are living and walking in the light as he himself is in the light, listen to this, we have true unbroken fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin and guilt 
keeps us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever asked somebody, and I'm sure you've asked somebody or you've heard this asked of you, how is your walk with God? How is your walk with God? What is that implying? That's referring to, in general, my relationship with God, with the church, and with other believers. So it speaks about my daily relationship. Therefore, it speaks about my character. It speaks about my fruitfulness. And it speaks about my personal intimacy and relationship with Jesus. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, he explains it in this way. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you have been called. Now listen to what he says. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He literally nearly mentions all nine fruit of the Spirit. So my walk is about my character, about who I am and who I'm becoming. This refers to excellence. It refers to faithfulness. And it refers to doing those important things on a regular basis, whether they're small or large, that help me to develop diligence and consistency in my life. We learned this last week, and it really made an impact on me. We will know them by their fruit, not their gifting. You can have the most incredible gifting, and I want you to know gifting is important. Gifting is amazing. Gifting is what God gives you to be a blessing to others. But listen, you can never put gifting above character and fruit because it won't last. And so this speaks about my walk. In the Passion Translation, I love the way it puts it across. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank, given to you in your divine calling, with tender humility, quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. (laughs) Be faithful to God, the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. You see, walking speaks about having a caring and a loving attitude. Paul, writing to Timothy, praised Onesiphorus and asked Timothy specifically to greet him when he saw him. Because you see, Onesiphorus sorry, was, ashamed, was not ashamed of Paul's chains. He had gone and spent time with Paul and encouraged him. Even although he wasn't this great man of God like Paul was, he wasn't this incredible leader, he had a caring and a loving attitude. And so he wanted to know how Paul was doing. He didn't just do it out of a Christian duty, but he did it out of a real love for God and for Paul. And that's how our daily walk should be. His caring really counted. Church, can I encourage us today? Let's care for one another. Let's be genuine about loving each other and helping each other when we need help. In 2 Timothy 1.6, 
in the Passion Translation, Paul says this, Nevertheless, so many times Onesiphorus was like a breath of fresh air to me, and he never seemed to be ashamed of my chains. May our Lord Jesus bestow compassion and mercy upon him and his household. You see, people can sense when we're really concerned for their spiritual welfare, and we're not just interested in them because we have to be. May all of our walk be like that of Anisophorus. Number five. Number five is running. Lying, sitting, standing, walking, and then guess what? Now I start running. Now running speaks about progress. It speaks about ministry. It speaks about moving into my purpose and my calling. It speaks about the good works I do. But notice, it comes after all the others have been established. Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, the race that he set before us. You have a race to run. You have a race that is set before you. And I want you to know, Jesus wants you to run and win your race. And so as we run, this speaks about not so much my doing, but, sorry, not so much my being, but my doing. Walk speaks about who I am, Running speaks about what I do because of who I am. Now we've started to get a stride and a rhythm in our lives. We've learned to walk in the rhythms of his grace. And so now doors are opening. Our purpose has been established. We're ministering to people. We're leading people to Christ. In a, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about the seven doors that open to every believer that all of us are responsible to participate in as the church. And so there's opportunities to minister, to share, to serve in the church, to make a difference in our community. Our purpose starts to become clearer. We become more focused. And guess what? Progress is visible in our lives. Paul said it like this. He said, I run With certainty. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the price? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. The word run here in the Greek speaks about this someone who exerts energy in order to overcome something. It speaks about someone who performs in such a way that they want to succeed. And it speaks about someone who exerts themselves with the intention of making progress. Running is about being intentional. It's about going towards that prize of the upward call we have in Christ Jesus. I hope you've been blessed this morning by the ministry of the word. Number six. Number six speaks about leaping or jumping. And leaping and jumping speaks about praise. It speaks about celebration. It speaks about victory and breakthrough. In Acts 3 verse 9, after the lame man was healed, it says, And all the people saw him walking 
and praising God. The one translation says, they saw him leaping and dancing and shouting for joy. You see, there is something significantly powerful that is released when the people of God praise and celebrate Jesus. Even King David in the Old Testament, that Old Testament king, he completely understood the significance of praise and worship. He experienced it and it made such a difference, listen, in his personal life and in his professional life. If you're a business person, if you're working, if you're a professional, I want you to know praise and worship, this leaping, this celebrating will not just make a difference in your personal life. It'll make a difference in every area of your life. Listen to what David says in Psalm 34, verses 1 to 5 in the New Living Testament. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak of his praises. I will boast on the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Listen, let all who are helpless take heart. He's saying, man, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Listen to this, take heart. If you'll praise God, You'll arise, you'll, you'll, you'll leap for joy because God will move in your situation. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us all exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, verse 4, and he answered me and he freed me from all my fears. I love verse 5. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. You see, it's like this when it comes to praise and worship. It's like a little child. As they grow up, they become convinced, so convinced that their father, their daddy God can, their daddy can do anything. How many of you know they become so convinced that that when you talk to them, they'll say, my dad can do anything. And then the other person will say, no, no, you must see what my dad can do. And I mean, their dads are so big, so powerful. I mean, they can literally do anything. But how many of you know, as we grow up, reality kicks in and we realize, yes, our dads are great, but they aren't superheroes. They are humans. But you know, for the child of God, it's exactly the opposite. You might start out wondering what God can do, but you know, the more you praise him, the more you worship him, the more you celebrate him, the more convinced you become, and the more you begin to experience that literally your daddy God can do anything. Your daddy God can do the impossible. Church, it's time to arise again with expectation and believe God for the impossible. You see, and when you do that, God will move on your behalf. And you know what? For every one of us, he moves in a unique and a different way because he knows who we are and he knows what we need. But what happens when he starts to move, we begin to experience his power and his love. And guess what? We learn to trust him. We learn to rely on him and not our own ability or our own wisdom and strength. James 5.13 says it like this. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms of praise. You see, praise and prayer work together to ensure our victory. That's what James is speaking about. As a matter of fact, James gives us a reality perspective. He says this. Jesus wants you to live in victory... And fight your battles. 
not live in your battle and fight for victory. Praise empowers us to fight from victory. I love what the psalmist says. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Today is a day for you and I to sing praises to our Savior. Number seven. Number seven of our seven spiritual disciplines is this. Mounting up or rising up. Mounting up speaks about God exalting you. God lifting you up. God elevating your life and your ministry and your business and your marriage and your finances to a whole nother level. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, uh, 30 and 31, it says this, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men will utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Now we need to remember today that we interpret this scripture in the light of the previous chapters and the wholeness and context of this chapter, which is actually speaking about Isaiah was challenging and encouraging the nation of Israel to not be disheartened or discouraged because their God was so great. But let's break this verse up just quickly. Firstly, it says, even the youth will faint and be weary, and even the young men will utterly fall. What is he saying to us? He's, he's speaking about youth symbolically because how many of you know young people are strong? Young people are fervent. Young people are resilient. And he's saying even young people will grow weary and faint. In other words, our own human strength can only take us so far. Our previous spiritual knowledge and strength can only take us so far. And he's saying to us, listen, be aware. Even youths will faint and be weary. Even young men will utterly fall. But listen, they who wait upon the Lord. Now listen, this word wait upon the Lord is the previous six disciplines. It's lying down. It's sitting. It's standing. It's walking. It's running and it's mounting up in praise. That encapsulates waiting on the Lord. Now look what happens when you wait on the Lord. The next verse, they shall renew their strength. Listen, it doesn't stop there. Not only will you renew your strength, but you will mount up like eagles. Now let me quickly give you this analogy. I went through and studied eagles in the Bible. This is what eagles represent spiritually for your and my life in the Bible. Number one, it speaks about divine support. Exodus 19. Number two, it speaks about mighty men of valor conquering things. Second Samuel chapter one. Number three, it speaks about perception and vision. How many of you know eagles have incredible vision? So when you're mounting up, God is giving you vision. God is giving you perspective. God is giving you the support you need. Uh, number four, Eagles represent in the Bible discernment and the ability to fly high and to fly away from the things that you should and swoop down on the things that are yours. Number five, eagles in the, in the Bible represent mounting up or being exalted or lifted up, as we saw in this verse. And finally, eagles in the Bible uh, from the book of Luke speak about gathering together as mighty men and women of the kingdom of God. 
But look what else. Look what else is mentioned here in this verse. He doesn't stop there. He says, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. And look what he says. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Look, he refers back to disciplines number four and five. And he says, listen, if you don't mount up, if you don't become like the eagle God's created you to be, then you're going to faint when you're walking. You're going to grow weary when you're running and you'll not finish your race. So I want to encourage us today as I close. Choose to face every moment at its onset by meditating on God's word and God's goodness. He has better things in store for your life. And they will defeat the disappointment. They will cause healing and refreshing to come into your life. Let's enter into the better that God has for you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, marriage. Yes, financial lack. I'm speaking to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I admit that there are times when I look at my circumstances and fear tries to grip me rather than your truth and your life. Help me to move out of my comfort zone. Help me to move towards the better that you have in my life for me. I want more of you in my life. Would you guide me? Expose those areas that need to be expanded and give me a heart of willingness to grow and pursue you. Refresh me in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name. I want you to know we love you this morning. Myself and Mandy and our elders, we are praying for you regularly. And if you joined us today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or you perhaps have a tugging on your heart and you want to rededicate your life, it would be such a privilege. Would you simply pray this prayer out loud with me? Fashion from Romans 10, verse 8 to 10. Just pray it out loud where you are, believing and being sincere. God will meet you where you are. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I believe in Jesus today and I invite him into my heart. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Now, if you have a testimony or a prayer request, or if you prayed that prayer today, we would love to hear from you. On your screen right now, you can go to our website, rfcfc.com, and you can find out everything about our church. You can also send us a message to info at ramasouthcoast.com or you can send us a WhatsApp or an SMS on the cell number that's appearing on your screen right now. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to send you a Bible if you don't have one. And remember, watch our social media this week to hear how you can register to be part of our first service in September. We love you. Have a great week. And God bless you.